Okay, I think we could go on and on. There's a lot of fascinating things, uh, but we should, we should proceed. Last week, um, and I didn't realize that the Lord was going to do this until this morning, but last week we talked about bulletproofing our faith. And so if you have bad knees, um, somehow conventional training does not strengthen all the hidden areas, the tendons and ligaments, and so you have all these athletes with huge muscles just tearing their knees. Uh, so there's, there's some, something missing in the training regiment which doesn't bulletproof one's knees. And so I, I made the analogy, there's, there's a way that we bulletproof our faith. Uh, so that no matter what happens, our faith will stand. And a good example of that is uh, Peter. He fell at the end uh, when he denied Jesus three times, but there is an exchange when Jesus is restoring uh, uh, Peter in John 21. And and Jesus says, do you agape me, Peter? And Peter says, no, I phileo you. So uh, Jesus says his love is this high, and then Peter's response, because he's sheepish and he's... uh, he's, uh, um, You know, he was a man of a lot of boasting, but now he sees what he's made of. He's not the man he thought he was. And so he says, no, I don't don't agape love you. I just phileo love you. I just have some affection for you. And I said at the end, uh, Jesus does meet Peter where he is. And he says, I, uh, uh, Peter, do you have affection for me? And Peter says, yes, of course. I've I've been saying it three times. I have affection for you. And for us to have agape uh, love for Jesus, the way that Jesus has agape love for us, is the way that we bulletproof our faith. Uh, and I think uh, your reaction after hearing last Sunday is, well, how do I get there? What does it mean to have agape love for Jesus? I have some affection for him, uh, a little bit higher. Sometimes I have passion for him. Sometimes I long for him. I desire him. But what does it mean to have a an agape love for Jesus, because Jesus is no limits. I will do anything for you. I will die for you. It is a, it is a, a love without a ceiling. And so how do we as disciples of Jesus meet Jesus at that same level of agape love that he has for us? And the verse he gave me this morning was uh, John 14, verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, he says, if you agape me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So how do we have agape love for Jesus? You, you keep his commandments. And you might think a commandments is just the Bible, that if I keep the Bible, if I keep uh, the principles in the Bible, then I love Jesus. There are many people who are very Bible-based, but they have no love for Jesus. They are just religious. Um, the, you just have to look at the Pharisees. Jesus was not happy with the Pharisees who were experts at the Bible, at the scriptures that they had from the Old Testament. And Jesus says, your heart is so far from me, you don't even recognize who I am. So, it is, so when it says keeping his commandments, um, uh, there's so much more than just the Bible. You know, we, we say that Christian life is a relationship, and as sheep we hear the shepherd's voice, and, and that's something we have to tune our ears. Uh, it is not natural to obey God. 
Even Jesus had to learn obedience through suffering. It, is, it wasn't even, it, it was even a training required for Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, to learn obedience through what he suffered. How much more us, with a sinful nature, who are uh, still struggling in this life, in this world that is ruled by Satan, and there's deception at every corner and temptations all around us, how much harder it is for us to... to love Jesus and to keep his commandments um, and to learn obedience. Because all of life um, is a, a series of choices. And we have a choice every time. Do I obey Jesus or do I obey myself? Or, or do I obey sat satanic voices? Um, and Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not... Do what I tell you. And so I want to ask you a very simple but a direct question today. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Is Jesus Lord of your life? That is what it means to agape him. If you say, Jesus, you are Lord, and every decision I will bring before you. Uh, I am not the Lord of my life. I'm not the king, the queen of my life. It's not up to me to decide how my life pans out. I will bring my life. I will surrender my life to, to the Father. Not my will, but your will be done, Father. And concretely, Jesus, I want to follow you, and I want to live for you. That is what it means that Jesus is the king of your life. He is Lord. The parable of the talents and, and the minas, um, the audience is different. Uh, the, the, the audience for uh, the Minas is, uh, this, this happened uh, before. This is Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the final time. He is moving from Jericho to Jerusalem. It is a, it is a steep and treacherous uh, a road that, that drops 3,600 feet in elevation. This is the same road where, where robbers would, would, would attack people on this road. And this is where Jesus gave the illustration of the Good Samaritan. And so all of this is happening as Jesus is moving toward his own suffering. Uh, and, and he gives this parable of the minas. And then a little bit closer to his, to his final exam where he suffers on the cross is the parable of the talent. So the minas uh, on his way to Jerusalem, on, between Jericho to Jerusalem, that road, uh, he gives the parable of the minas. And the, the audience is a large crowd. So that's why this one includes servants. It also includes citizens. So this is for everybody. This, this is, this, this is uh, the, the, uh, the Minas is not filtering believers and, and unbelievers. It's, it's the entire world is supposed to listen to this one. The parable of the talents is, is on the Mount of Olives, closer to, uh, to uh, Jesus being crucified. And the audience here is much smaller. It's only the disciples. Parable of the talents, master goes on a journey. Uh, parable of the Minas, a noble, nobleman goes to a far country to receive a kingdom for himself, and then he comes back uh, to, to, for some reason, to claim a kingdom here on earth uh, and bringing heaven to earth. Uh, there, the master calls three servants in the parable of the talents. Parable, parable of the Minas, God, the nobleman calls ten servants. Uh, Parable of the Talents is dealing with only professing believers slash servants. Uh, Parable of the Minas is dealing with servants and 
non-servant citizens who do not want Jesus to rule and reign over them. So that is uh, a representative of the entire world of non-believers. Uh, then you have different investments. Uh, for the parable of the talents, there was five, two, and one. Uh, but, uh, but in the parable of the minas, everyone is given one mina, one mina, one mina, all ten of them. The investments given for the talents, it says according to their dunamis, according to their power, their strength, their, their ability. And so um, I think you have to read the two parables together because we all have one life to live. So to me, that is the mina. We have all one life to live, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, whether you're a pastor or a layperson, whether you are a CEO or you're just working uh, behind a desk. It doesn't matter. We all have one life to live. This is the mina. I think that's what represents. And it applies for a Christian. It applies for a non-Christian. But the, for the believer, the talents, there is a specialized focus and there is gifting and there's assignments and there's very unique things that you are to do and it's according to your ability. So if you as somebody who is not called to the life that I am supposed to live, if you step into my shoes, uh, you, will, you will not do well. Because, because it, there, there are challenges that are unique for me, and God has wired me and prepared me, and he's, he's grooming me for, for whatever cross-bearing life that he wants me to lead. And so it's for, for me alone to, to walk this path. And so for you to step into my shoes is not right. Uh, for me to step into your shoes is not right. There are other people who have massive assignments from the Lord. For me to look at that and covet that person is not right. Because if I were to step into that person's shoes, I will be crushed by the weight of pressure and responsibility. And there are some in the body of Christ who are stepping into roles, into assignments that are not theirs. Uh, and, and they are being uh, so crushed by the stress and the pressure and, and ministers are just burning out. And you wonder, did God really tell them to do this? Or was it their flesh that says, I want to be famous. I want to go to this big name church and I want to do this thing. That, and it was just their flesh saying it. And so we should be careful not to step into uh, an assignment that is not ours. There is, a, there is an ability that the Lord has given to you. And you have to be able to discern it. The question is, well, you might say, I am a five-talent person. But in reality, you're just a one-talent person. And so always you're chasing after something bigger, something more. That's just wrong. Because, because you should just be faithful. The whole point of this parable is just be faithful to what you've been given. If you are a one-talent, if you're actually a five-talent person, but in your mind you think, I'm a one-talent person, so I'm going to lay low, I'm going to take it easy, that's wrong as well. Because that means you're not being uh, faithful. You're not, you're not being uh, true to the assignment. You you're probably have way more capacity to, to do things for the Lord, but you're just saying, well, I'm, that's not me, I can't do that. And it's just just being lazy, just being giving excuses. Uh, so there's a difference here. And we're going to go back to the mina, the one life that all of us have been given. Talent is 20 years of wages. A mina is several months of wages. The returns are different. The five talent uh, produces 10. Two talents produces four. Uh, so is it doubling? Um, so the God, uh, he seems to uh, be okay with each of them. He doesn't um, 
Uh, well, actually, let, let's let's hold that thought. It's it's a doubling. That's all we can say at this point. Uh, for the uh, servant uh, in the minas, there is uh, one thousand percent return, one to ten, five hundred percent return, one to five. Uh, so the returns are different. The rewards. Uh, some p- argue the parable of the talents. It's the same reward. He says, "Well done, good and faithful servant." You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter in the joy of your master. And so we might think, okay, well, they all made it to heaven. The reward is the same. But, but if, you, if you look at that parable together with the parable of the minas, there is a difference of reward for the minas because the people in the minas, uh, uh, if you produce 10 minas from one, you are put in charge over 10 cities. There is a, a larger authority, a larger blessing, a larger responsibility in heaven because of what you did on earth. So uh, the reward is different. And so even uh, the parable of the talents, we say it's, it's going from 5 to 10, 2 to 4 is double, and, and it's just ambiguous. He says you will be in charge of many things. I think going from 5 to 10, 2 to 4, it is different than going from one uh, and just producing one uh, or one and a half. I think there, there is the, the many things that God promises. I think we have to read it us alongside of the parable of the minas. There is a different level and degree of reward. So it's, let's not flatten it. How you live life, if you live faithfully. Some people live faithfully uh, half the time, then your reward is going to be half. If you're faithful 90% of the time, then you can uh, go 90% of the potential reward. I, for for myself, want 100% of whatever reward I have in store for me, I want to go for all of it. I don't want to drop to 99. I'm going for 100. And here we get into... uh, the, the, the slave of the parable of the talent, uh, the servant, misjudged the master's intentions. Um, and I think if you read this alongside of also the servant of the mina to, toward the nobleman, uh, uh, there is a calling out of, of the servant who hid the, the mina in a handkerchief. Uh, and so I think although the parable of the talent doesn't say it, I think Likewise, there is a calling out of, of the reasons why you say you didn't, uh, you were not faithful uh, to the abilities, to the life that you've been given. Um, in both cases, they say they're afraid, and they say, "Well, you're you're going to just take, and you did not reap it, you did not sow. You're just going to take from me, and I was afraid of you." And and we'll we'll get back, we'll get into that in a, in a, in a moment. The response from the master and the nobleman is the same. You should, you, should, you should have just put it in the bank. And if you know bank returns, they are measly. We're talking 1%, 2%. If you're in a good situation, a 5% return. And so here is just the graciousness of the master. We might look at these passages and say, I got to produce tenfold, 1,000% return. No, if you have a fractional return, one5 1.05%. The Father is so gracious, He's going to take that. If you are faithful only a fraction of the time, and you, and you only go to Jesus uh, and, and treat Him as Lord only 5% of the time, the Father will take it. 
it's the graciousness of the Father. He says, I will take even a fractional return, 1.00001%. If there's any kind of return, I'm going to take it. There's such grace given to, uh, from the Master. He is this gracious. The punishment uh, is similar. Uh, there is a worthless slave in the parable of talents sent to the outer darkness where, the, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And like Kathleen said, it is hell. Uh, the nobleman's enemies. And I think by implication also uh, the, the servant with the one mina who did not, was not faithful to it, uh, all of them uh, are um, slain before the nobleman, Jesus Christ, when he returns. And so if Mina is one life, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. We have the same, uh, we all went through 2021 with the same duration. If you're alive, you went through it the same way that I went through it. But we went through it differently. Some of us went through it faithfully, 100%. Some of us went through it faithfully, 50%. Some of us went completely just not consulting Jesus at all. And you, you call him Lord, but you do not do what he commanded you. And so you went through 2021 as if you are the Lord of your life and you are the master of your own destiny. And that is something you just have to wrestle with the Lord. Uh, how did I go through last year and how, what, how can I do 2022 differently. There are citizens in the parable of the Minas, and they are blatant with, with, about their rebellion. They say this, this nobleman who, who's some kind of a king, he's, return, he's returning to, to establish his kingdom. I want no part of his kingdom. And they hate Jesus. They hate Jesus, this king. And they are citizens who uh, make it clear through their words, through their emotions, through their actions, that they want no part of Jesus' lordship over them. They are the citizens, the people in this world. They are rebels, and these rebels will be taken to account. But what we see, I think, the deeper meaning here for, for the body of Christ is there is a hidden rebellion in this person who is the one mean a person. Uh, they're in God's church, they say Jesus is Lord. They say, Lord, Lord. Uh, um, but when it comes down to it, uh, when, when, when Jesus scans their life, they are like the person who hid the talent in a handkerchief. They really did not have intention to do what Jesus commanded. And that is a hidden rebellion that I hope the Lord can, can expose today. It says in Luke 19, verse 20, Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I, kept laid, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? Every excuse is actually a false excuse. 
And here is, a, is, a, is an example of an excuse. And we have to see through it. And God sees the heart. This excuse is false. It is illogical. If you, have, if you actually feared Jesus and you thought he was a harsh man, then out of fear, at the very least, the lazy option is I'm just going to throw it into the bank. I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to touch it. But at least I'm out of my fear. If you really are afraid, I'm going to put it in the bank. I'm not, I'm, this is the lazy option. I'm not going to do anything. At least I'm going to let it sit there and, and gain a fraction of, of, of a return of 1% or 2% or 5%. At least I will have something to show this harsh nobleman when he returns. The fact that this person did nothing, he's lying out of his teeth. He's not afraid. He really had no intention of, of living for Jesus. Although he calls Jesus Lord, he had no intention of living for Jesus. And Jesus is calling him out. You are no different from the citizens in, in, in the city who say, I don't want Jesus to be king over my life. I don't want Jesus to rule over my life. I don't want him to reign over my life. How can we start discerning whether or not we actually want Jesus to be a Lord over us? I think uh, the first step, at least if you've been to church, is you pray. And you ask Jesus, about this decision, which way do you want me to go? That's step one. Many Christians don't even do that. Many Christians just out of fear, out of greed, out of just pride, they just decide so many things about life without prayer. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't even cross their mind that this topic should be a topic of prayer. And, and it's like sometimes I, the, I get challenged with my views on certain things, and I ask that person, um, with, I'm not causing a fight, but I just asked that person, hey, before you decided that, did you pray? And they look at me like, what do you mean? It's like, I don't need to pray. It's, it's so obvious what I should have done. And, and this is not an area that, that I need to pray about. I only pray about certain things that are related to spiritual life or, or major th decisions or these things. It's so obvious what I should do, what everyone should do. I don't need to pray. And, and so there are people in the body of Christ that many decisions, they just in their intellect, based on their experience, based on mainstream, based on what everybody else is doing, they don't even pray and they just say, I am going with the flow. To me, that is, a, that is hidden rebellion. A little bit better than that is, is you pray and you ask other people to pray. And for many people, they feel good. As long as I ask other people to pray, then, then I can just kind of do what I want in the end. Um, because if, if you start praying, and actually even before you pray, I bet you're already leaning a certain way. And that's just, I'm just being truthful. I'm, 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 I'm saying for myself, even before I pray, I have a leaning. And so part of prayer is surrender. You're saying, I want to get rid of this leaning. I want to get to a neutral place so that the Lord can just whisper a little bit of a word, a little bit of nudge. I can hear it. But if I'm leaning, he will say something and I will like dismiss it. 
Because as I lean, I, I can confirm my leaning through many different means, and I can justify my decisions. Uh, so, so part of prayer is you're just, you're just surrendering, and you're getting rid of the, this leaning. Uh, and if you ask other pe- people to pray, it's a little bit better, but if, if, if it stops there, I think you haven't gone far enough. If you really want to hear from the Lord, then you, 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 you pray first, and, and you try to discern as best you can first for yourself, because all of us have to learn and train our ears to hear the shepherd's voice. After that, uh, and you are, and in that prayer time, you are you're getting rid of your biases, your prejudices, your leanings, uh, because there's so much that the Lord can uncover there. That there's a fear there, there's pride there, there's insecurity, there's there's all of these questions and fears and confusion, and so all of this get, does not get dealt with if you don't surrender. And so as you pray, that's hopefully that's what's happening. After that, you ask for people to pray, and it should not stop there. You should pray, and, and if you are really trying to hear the shepherd's voice, then you feel confirmed, and you, and you ask other people to pray. Then you consult these other people, and you say, what did the Lord inspire you about this situation? Because if we're all praying to the same person, and there is one, 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 you're leaning left, and other people are leaning right, we're all praying to the same, same Father, and Jesus is the same shepherd of all of his sheep, left and right, they both can't be right. And then at that point, you have a choice. Well, well, I, I, well I'm already leaning left. I, I've, I've, I've asked people to pray, and for the first time in a long time, I, I actually asked people, what did you feel inspired by the Lord about this decision? And they're leaning right. Then you have a choice. And you can say, well, well they're wrong. I'm right, and I think that's what most people do. Uh, we trust uh, the way that seems right to us, instinctively. Uh, there, there is something, there's something that we think we will benefit by going in the direction that was already predetermined, where we're already leaning. Um, if you are really humble and say, well, I'm not that good at hearing God, and, and people that you trust, people that you think, okay, these people are hearing from the Lord. They have, some, they have a track record of being faithful, and, and you see their decisions, and you see how God blessed their decisions. And you ask them, you consult them, and they are saying, oh, actually, I thought the Lord was telling you to go right. I think then we would uh, struggle. We would surrender. And during that time, God would expose, oh, you know, you, you were leaning left because of this, because of your insecurity, because of your fear, because of whatever reasons, he will begin exposing it. If you really took into account other people's counsel as they prayed, because we're all hearing, uh, we're all supposed to hear from the same God. Um, for me, I have myself uh, first, I pray, and then I have a leaning. My first confirmation is Jackie. If she is going right when I'm going left, I, I, I go back to prayer. It's okay. There's something that's not right. Uh, I, I, need to, I need to make sure that I'm hearing correctly. Once Jackie and I are on the same page, I'm going to start consulting. Not everybody. I'm going to consult a small group of people whom I trust. From there, 
it's going to widen and widen. Uh, but, but I start with a very small, trusted group who've proven themselves to be faithfully hearing the voice of God and discerning things correctly. And to me, that's how I've improved in discerning. And so now I know, okay, this decision, I was leaning left. I made it. A year goes by. Two years go by. I look back at the fruit. And I see, oh, that was a wrong decision. Uh, and I just eat humble pie and say, okay, I got that wrong. I need to be more patient. I need to wait longer. Uh, and, and if Jesus is Lord, um, then, then we have to be patient to, to really wait for him to speak. Um, like when I was a young pastor, I assume that a pastor is somebody who runs after ev- and chases after every good idea uh, because I thought it's, it's, uh, it's almost like autopilot. Like once I feel, okay, God has called me to be a pastor, the rest of my life is on autopilot. I don't have to consult Jesus because I see scripture, I see the principles laid out in scripture, I see what other churches do for success, so I'm just chasing after success, I'm chasing after church growth, I'm, tra- I'm hearing opportunities come to me and good ideas, everything must be a yes. And then I started asking the Lord, is it a, should I do this? Should I do this? And then I just got silence. I got silence for years, and I, it just was really confusing because I thought when if you are if you are a pastor of a of a church plant, you should be from day one. You should be on the go, and you should be going after uh, success and growth and and influence and impact and church planting and missions. Everything that you think a good, godly, healthy church should do. And I was surprised that when I prayed to the Lord about all of these things, He didn't answer me. It's like Psalm 23, for example, and and this is just an example. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Period. What if the Lord just wants a pastor and a church to sit on that verse for a season? that there is going to be a a busier season, there's going to be promotions, there's going to be assignments, there's going to be times when we will uh, go past verse 1, but could it be that Jesus in his wisdom sees something in me, in all of us, that that we lack contentment in Christ? Um, That we still have so many other things that we want instead of Jesus, you're it, Jesus, you are my desire. Jesus, you are my good shepherd. I just need you, and I will follow you. And so if I don't do anything except just sit on verse 1, would I be okay with that? Um, And I don't know if churches do it this way, but at least that's how the Lord has been teaching me. Just stay with what he teaches. And if he keeps me on verse 1, then stay on verse 1. And then verse 2 He gave me that verse too, also in those years of waiting. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus had to force me to lie down. I did not want to lie down. I did not want to go into into a a, a slower level of energy and and just a quieter season. I didn't want to do it. 
Uh, it didn't matter, you know, looking back, my, my house was not ordered, my marriage was not as strong as it could be, it didn't matter, these things that are obvious to me now, but back then I didn't care about that, I just wanted to move, and the Lord said, no, you've you, you got to find your contentment in me, and because you're not listening, I will make you lie down, and he made me lie down for years. And there is a training there where you just wait on the Lord. He has you somewhere, and you're, and you're praying about certain things. He's not giving you an answer, and you think, okay, time's running out. I just got to decide. No, you can, just, you can just take God at his word. If he makes you lie down, if he is quiet on all the things he asks of you, maybe the answer is no, or maybe the answer is wait. The Lord, Jesus, wants, is commanding you at any given season, to do something. And it is our job to discern. What is he asking of you? Uh, and it depends on, going back to the parable of the talents, it depends on your abilities. It de- like, like, I'm not going to ask uh, Jaden, who is a, a three-month-old, I'm not going to ask him to, to show up to church early and to set up these chairs. It's not proper uh, when you are a spiritual infant that he's not going to ask you to go to the ends of the world and to preach to, uh, to, uh, to a tribe in a jungle. He's not going to ask you to do things when you're a spiritual infant. But as you grow in maturity, as he gives you spiritual gifts, as there's ability that's being built and strength and power, according to your ability, the commandments will change. He will give you more to do. And so in the beginning, it's just be a good spouse. Just learn that verse, Ephesians chapter 5. Just stay in that chapter, and that might be your assignment for years. Don't worry about anything else. Just... just um, Find your contentment in Christ, number one. If you're married, be a good spouse. Serve your spouse. That could be all that's, that, that he has for you. And then you have kids. Just be a good parent. As a father, take spiritual responsibility. Uh, take, uh, don't dish it off to a youth pastor or to the church youth group. It is your responsibility to raise up the child in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And maybe that is the assignment. Just stay on that verse. And then beyond that, uh, maybe serve God's church because you've filled, fulfilled every qualification. You've been trained in the home. Now, now he's expanding the assignment. Now serve God's church. And then, then God sends more people to God's church. Then he says, plant more churches. Then he says, reach people on the other side. See, there's a, there's a commandment that is connected to our ability to receive and to do the commandments. It all depends on our maturity. And it starts with, is Jesus Lord? With this one life you've been given, how faithfully is Jesus Lord over every decision, every season of your life? Are you consulting with Jesus? Are you waiting for the answer? How do we express agape love for Jesus? Obey his commandments. Children who are here, how do you express your love like Sophia and Timothy? How do you express love, agape love, uh, for, your, uh, for your father? Um, it is, through, it is through keeping his commandments. So if Jim says, do this, if you love uh, your father, you'll do it. Uh, if you have affection for your father, phileo, love for your father, you will, you will think your father's nice, but when he tells you to clean up your room, 
maybe maybe you won't do it on because you don't feel like doing it. And so to me, that's affection. Uh, and so with us, with Jesus, we pick and choose. We have affection for him. We'll listen to him on occasion. But if we mature, if we have agape love for Jesus, then 100% of the time you want to do exactly what he says, when he says it, how he says to do it. Everything is brought before him. You've surrendered your life. He truly is Lord. That is how we have agape love for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving a a follow-up message from last Sunday, which I didn't even know until this morning. Thank you, Lord, for being so timely in in helping to connect dots for us. Father, forgive us. Many of us have some level of affection towards you. We treat you as as Lord some of the time, but most of the time we are the Lord of our own lives. We do what we want to do. And it's based on our own pride, our greed, our fear, because of what the praise of man, what people will think of us. There's so much going on. And so, Lord, we, we repent before you. We're so sorry, Lord. We don't want to be the Lord of our lives anymore. There's only one Lord. We pray that you expose all the hidden rebellion in our hearts. The citizens are clear in their rebellion, but there is hidden rebellion in your house. And so, Lord, we we repent of all of our hidden rebellion. We don't want to just call you Lord with our mouth. We want to treat you as Lord with our lives, with every decision, with every season, with every assignment, with every action. We bring it before you, Lord Jesus. We pray that you minister to your people as we partake in the Lord's Supper. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on a cross for our sins and shedding uh, your blood uh, to cover and cleanse and sanctify us of all of our sins. Jesus, you learned obedience through suffering. We see it as you you obeyed all the way to the end. Lord, we also want to obey 100%, and we want to follow your example. We want to follow you, Lord Jesus. We want to live exactly like you. Thank you, Lord. We pray that you be with us, minister to your people during this time. In Jesus' name.